You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. We are up to pillar number five of the church I see. Uh, over the last four weeks, we've covered the first one, which was uh, I see a church that's hungry for God. And then uh, the following week, we did a church that loves the Bible. And uh, the next one was a church with a unified, unshakable love for each other. And then last week, we looked at a church with a huge heart for the lost and the broken. And today we're looking at the fact that I see a church that is passionate about discipleship. And I want to launch my message with this passage of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2, the first five verses. Peter says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 5 is a key verse. You also, as living stones, are being built up You as an individual are another brick in the wall of what God is building on the earth today. I I believe with a great conviction that a great church is made up of great disciples. It's not great lights, it's not great music, it's not great decor, it's not great programs. It's made up of great disciples. I believe in great music. I believe in great lighting and great decor. I'm all for that. And we are a church that is endeavoring to strive for excellence in everything that we do. But excellence can only come out of not having um, a spirit of excellence, but having an excellent spirit. And that's something that's inside of us. That's something that comes out of who we are. And if you are a great disciple, you're somebody with an excellent spirit. And great disciples is what makes a great church. I believe strong disciples, people who are strong in the Lord, strong in their faith, strong in their understanding of the word, make a strong church. And faithful disciples, committed disciples, passionate disciples is what makes a faithful, committed, passionate church. When I first went to Bible college, uh, it was the beginning of 1983, so late 1982, the college had accepted me, I was enrolled, and they sent me out a couple of books that they required me to read as a prerequisite before starting college. And one of them was called The Power of Prayer by E.M. Bounds. I don't know what E stands for or what M stands for, but that was just the title of the book, The Power of Prayer by E.M. Bounds. But he says this amazing thing in his book that I've never forgotten. He said, the church today, what it needs is not better methods. What the church today is not better programs. It's not better things or better ministry approaches. What the church needs today is better men and better women of God. Men and women of prayer, men and women who know the word, men and women who love their God and who are committed to serving him with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul and all their strength. And I believe that our church will only become strong as you and I as individuals become greater disciples. A disciple is a follower of someone. 
If you are a disciple of someone, you follow their example. You follow their teaching. You follow their guidance. You follow their lead. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're called to follow him. That's what being a Christian is all about. Sadly, the churches in the Western world predominantly are filled with churchians, not Christians. We are pew warmers. We go to church because it's what we do. We go to church because, well, our friends go to church. We go to church for a social connection. Or we go to church because it appeases something, falsely appeases something, you know, in a man. We're actually called to be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. You know, God has always used people, not programs. When you look at some of the great things that God has done across the earth from the day he created it, when you read your Bible, you find that God did not use methods. He used people. He called Moses. He called David. You know, he called Deborah. He called Joshua. He called uh, Samson. He called Elijah. He called Elisha. He called all the prophets. He called them by name and said, this is what I want you to do. And so he, he flows in and through people, people who had a heart for him, people who followed him with a passion, people who, who wanted what he wanted more than anything else on this planet. That's what a true disciple of Jesus Christ is. Without great people, great programs are short-lived. I believe great programs are good. I believe in having great methods but methods come and methods go. It's the people that make them happen. You can have a great title over the door. You know, it's like the old saying, you can have a fantastic menu, but nothing cooking in the kitchen. You know, I, I want a church where there's something cooking in the kitchen, don't you? I want a church where, where people walk through the door, they're embraced by, by God with skin on it. That's us, carriers of the life and the love and the passion of God. You know, Peter said to us, because we are living stones, because we are what makes a great church, he, he challenged us in his, in his epistle. He said, lay aside all those things that hinder you from becoming a great disciple. Lay aside all of those things that, that block you or frustrate you or get in your way of growing in your relationship with God, developing your knowledge of God, getting closer to him as Kylie so powerfully shared. You know, how many of us come to church and it's the only time God gets from us, but we don't talk to him through the week. Peter said, lay aside all those things that hinder, like malice and envy, those growth hindering things like hypocrisy and deceit and work on the growth of God in your life. Work on getting Jesus in you. Peter, uh, Paul said, sorry, that he said, I'm like a mother in labor, laboring for you until Christ is fully formed in you. You see, Jesus is to be formed in us so that he becomes a part of who we are, that we, we carry his nature, that we think like he thinks, we move like he moves, we breathe like he breathes. It's like we have his heartbeat happening, not just near us so we watch what he does, but in us so he can work through us. Peter said, lay aside these things and let, let your life be surrendered because you are the raw material that God uses to build his house. You are the raw material. Jesus, Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're not here to build his church. Jesus told us to go and make disciples. Our job is to make disciples. His job is to build the church. But what he does is he uses the raw material of the disciples that we make to build his church. Because every disciple is a living stone, another brick in the wall of what God is building on the earth today. We are the bricks and we are the key to a great church. If our life is not developing... If our life is not available, if our life is 
not usable or not yielded, if our life is, is contaminated or corrupted or unreliable, let, let me challenge you with this. If you just come to church on Sunday, you let down the team of other living stones sitting alongside of you today. People that have caught what it is God has put them on this planet for. People that have captured that their role is to follow Jesus and discover from Jesus what it is that he has called you to do and the, and the place that he's called you to, to fill in the wall of the house that he's building. If you just come to church and you don't do anything to contribute to kingdom purpose, if you don't do anything to help make disciples, you let down the other team. You know, my good friend Danny Guglamucci is also part of our apostolic oversight here at Generation City Church. He, uh, he was preaching overseas many years ago and, and afterwards he was spending some time with key leaders and as he was uh, doing that, he was out for a coffee with this young guy. He was just up and coming through the ranks and, and he was learning how to put a sermon together and how to be a leader in the house of God. And he and Danny were having a coffee one day and he asked Danny, he said, Danny, he said, how do you get a sermon? How do you get a message? How, how do you get a word from God to bring to the church? And Danny thought he'd just be funny and have a lend of the guy and pull his leg for a little bit and said, well, it's easy. He said, all I do, is he said, every time I have to preach, he said, I open my Bible, drop my finger on it, and whatever verse it is, I preach out of it. The guy said, really? He said, yeah. He said, as soon as I do that, whatever verse my finger lands on, he said, the Lord tells me what to say. And he said, I just preach. And he's, he's pulling the guy's leg. And anyway, Danny just said, he said, well, let me show you how it works. So Danny just opened his Bible at random, dropped his finger down, and lo and behold, it fell on Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 1, which says these words, and I quote, If a man's testicles are crushed and his penis has been cut off, he cannot enter the assembly of the Lord. So Danny looked at the young guy. The young guy looked at him and said, well, what are you going to say out of that? You didn't know there was anything like that in the Bible, did you? It's there. You read it. Don't read it now. I'm preaching. Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, says that if a man's testicles are crushed or his penis is cut off, he cannot enter the assembly of the Lord. And you sort of think, man, this guy's really behind the eight ball now. He's got enough on his plate and he can't even go to church now. He's been excommunicated. So that, that's what the thing's saying. But Danny says this. He said, he looked down and he reread the verse and he said it was like the Holy Spirit instantly spoke to him and said these words. If you cannot reproduce yourself, you bring little value to kingdom purpose. If you cannot spiritually take what I've put in you, what I've blessed you with, what I've given you, what I've graced your life with, if you can't take that and reproduce that in somebody else, you're of very little value to the kingdom of God. Because the call on the church of Jesus Christ today is to go into all the world, preach the gospel, not just get decisions, but make disciples. And that's taking what God has given us and reproducing that. We are the raw materials that God is using to build his church. And if we are not passionate about discipleship, we have totally missed the mandate that God has placed upon the church. Totally missed it. If we are not passionate about reproducing ourselves in, in other people and taking what God has put in us, and sharing that and imparting that and using... like We, we had somebody do it for us. 
I had somebody do it for me. Chris Bridges here, and I've shared this story many times. Chris was instrumental in leading me to the Lord. He was instrumental in discipling me. He would pick me up. He would take me to youth group. He'd pick me up. He'd bring me to church. He, he would visit me. He would phone me. He would share scriptures with me. He would tell me you know, about how to talk to God. How, and and he, would, he, would, he, he discipled me. He took what God had put in him and put it into me. And there were other guys, the likes of men like David Bonza. Some of you would remember David Bonza. He's still in a church somewhere here in Newcastle. And every now and then I have a coffee with him. He was another one who took me under his wing and discipled me and believed in me and probably was one of the guys that drew the call of God out of my life. He discipled me. He was passionate about it. And I, I believe that if it wasn't for men like that, I wouldn't be here today. And I say that carefully. You say, oh, well, isn't God able to keep you in church? Absolutely. But he has commissioned people to disciple people. And we can't do things contrary to his word and expect a godly result. And so we have to be willing. Freely you have received, Jesus said, freely give. What did you receive? The goodness of God, the gifts of God, the knowledge of God, the grace of God. We are the bricks that he's using to build his house. You know, I believe... That because we are the key to a great church, and because our lives are the raw material God uses to build his house, we need to be very, very careful how we live our lives. One man said this, The church is God's team, commissioned to carry out the Great Commission. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, and we should be doing the same, loving, giving, building, and dying for it. Let, let me tell you this, the church is the only thing God is building on this planet. It's the only thing he is building. Some of you might sit there and say, well, I thought he was, he was building me. Well, he is. He's building you as a living stone to go into the wall of the church that he's building. You see how it works? He builds us so that we fit in our place. He, he chisels away. He shapes. He fashions. He sanctifies. He prepares us to be a, a perfect fit in a certain spot in the wall of the house that he's building. And if we don't fill our spot, we leave a hole in the wall and we let down the other living stones who are filling their spot. We will be called to account one day if we do not use what God has given us for kingdom purpose. You've heard the parable of the talents. The landowner goes away. He gives one one talent, one two talents, and another five. The guy with the two and the guy with the five go and invest it. They use it. They put it into action, and they double, and they get a return for what was invested in them. But the guy with the one talent buried it. And when the master came back, he said, here it is. I've got it, I've got it here. It's shiny. It's never been used. I'm giving it back. And Jesus called him a wicked servant. He was displaying and illustrating what, what we're called to do. God has put something in our life and we are called to utilize that. And part of that it is put in our life is to disciple others into the purpose of God. Another man said this, in the 2,000 years of its existence, the church has been attacked, ridiculed, split, divided, loved, hated, revered, feared, honored, visited by scandal, yet it still remains. Why? Because it was born of God. You can't kill anything that God births. Only God can do that. So if you, if you wonder why perhaps dreams have died in your life, you have to sit and ask yourself the question, did God actually birth that dream? If, if, if God birthed it, it will be re rekindled. You, you've got to understand that. We are the key to our church becoming great. You and I are the key as individuals to our church becoming strong, to our church becoming influential in, in the world. We are the key. But let me challenge you with this thought. There are keys and there are keys. Oils ain't oil, soul, and neither are keys. 
There's the rusty old keys you find in the shed when you're doing a clean out. Who's ever found those? Set of old rusty keys. You think, what on earth did they ever fit? What did they ever open? And you have absolutely no idea. I think the sad thing is there are, there are rusty old keys sitting in churches today. They haven't done anything for so long that you, the, you have to think, what on earth did they ever do? And sometimes people are sitting there going, what on earth did I ever do? Because they've sat for so long in the same place being a churchian rather than a Christian, if you know what I mean by that. And they become rusty and they're not actually useful for anything because they're keys. You think, well, what am I going to do? I might as well throw them out. Then there's the keys you find in the buffet. They're not quite rusty, but you think, what were they for? Were they the car keys for four cars ago? Uh, maybe they were, but, but the reality is they're still not useful because we don't know what lock they fit. But then there's the keys that are in your pocket right now, the keys that really are effective. They're the ones that open your front door when you go home today. They're the ones that will ignite the engine in your car when you put them in the ignition and turn it on. You, you see, they're, they're the keys that are effective today. I want to be one of those keys in the house of God. I, I want to be a key that is effective, and I want to find my place in that. Well, I think I've already found it. If I'm still looking now, I'm in trouble, aren't I? <laughs> I, I, like I, I stopped looking for the call of God in my life years ago I'm, I'm in it this is it and I'm not looking for anything else I actually believe this was my destiny and if I finish up tomorrow I don't know that I've got another church in me that's the reality of how I feel people have asked me that do you think you take on another church there's no chance I, I just don't believe I've got another one in me this is it and if I finish up tomorrow for whatever reason well I just have to get a job or something because I don't know that I am called to do anything else so I'm doing what I'm, I'm called to do and I want to be an effective key today that makes a difference today and the only way I can be that is to be a person who is adamantly and fervently following Jesus that's what a disciple is you wake up and say Jesus what do you want from me today Jesus who do you want me to touch today where can I go today what influence can I have today that that is what's going to build a great church I, I believe there are great things happening across our congregation and you know why I believe it's it's happening it's because of our prayer meetings on Tuesday morning and our meetings here on Sunday afternoon it's a more laid-back Sunday afternoon meeting there's you know there's worship there's prayer there's praying for each other but it's people locking arms together somebody said once how big is your church because it's only as big as your prayer meeting and it's like, well, you know, if that's the case, the church is not that great. But the reality is our prayer meeting is starting to see pockets of breakout of new buds, new blossoms happening on the vine of Generation City Church. And I could sit here and rattle off a few of them, but it's exciting, some of the stuff that's happening. And I'm absolutely confident that it's coming out of prayer because the Rapids prophecy, remember, it was all about driving men of God to their knees. In this case, it was me to my knees because what God wants to do in and through the church today, he can't do through just simply a man and his gifting. He's got to have somebody who just yields and says, do what you want to do. Do a supernatural thing. I'm at a point now, I'm actually starting to really pray about the idea of, I need to identify some intercessors in the church. People who really believe their calling is to pray and stand in the gap and break down barriers and bondages. And, and, and I think it would be wonderful if on a Friday night, my office could have a number of intercessors in there praying for our youth program while it's running. Praying that a revival hits our youth ministry. Praying that kids have an encounter with God. Praying that they come to church on Sunday because they just want more and more of God. I think that's what will come out of praying and interceding and believing. And it all comes out of praying because prayer is just simply dependence on God. Can you hear what I'm, I'm saying? We are the key. I want to share with you just quickly three things 
that we need to understand if we really want a well done, good and faithful servant when we stand before the Lord. Three, three commitments they are that I believe every disciple of Jesus needs to make in their life. And the first one is this, a commitment to give our talent. A true disciple will give their talent to the Lord. A true disciple will say, what is it, God, you've gifted me with? What talent have you left me with that I can use to help build the house of the Lord? First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 says, As each one has received a gift... That's every single person across this auditorium. You have received something from God. If you say, oh, well, I haven't got anything to offer, well, you're calling God a liar because the Bible says each one has received a gift. And we are called to minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We are unique individuals that God has placed on this planet for a purpose. Let me challenge you with this. You have never happened before. Think about that for a moment. You have never happened before. When Joel was born, he was an ugly critter <laughs> because he went through 18 hours of labor with his mother and he just had such a big head. He wasn't going to come into the world. I love you, Joel. <laughs> he just wasn't going to come into the world and she had to have an emergency Caesar. And I mean, you look at the size of Margot. She'd already had a, been involved in a road accident and fractured a hip, and that was all part of the problem. But his head was so pushed out of shape. He was just a, what, I've created an alien, is what I felt. But of course, as you know, overnight, the head came back into shape, and he was absolutely gorgeous, and he's, he's, he's still gorgeous now. He's still... Come on, mate. <laughs> Let me, let me, I remember standing over his little crib the next morning and I was fascinated. Just checking him out. I was absolutely fascinated. And you know, the reason I was so fascinated was because in all the course of human history, he had never happened before. God planned his moment of birth from all eternity, just as he planned your moment of birth from all eternity. You have never been here before. You've never happened before and you won't happen again. You are created in the unique image and likeness of God. There is nobody with your fingerprints. Isn't that mind-blowing? Of all the people on the planet, there is nobody with your fingerprints. Your fingerprints are unique to you. We had a break-in this week at the church, first one since I've been pastoring here in at least 17 years. And uh, we had the forensics in and they're dusting. Don't they make a mess when they do that? Black dust everywhere. And they're dusting, looking for fingerprints. Because I think if they can find a fingerprint that matches someone on their database, they'll have caught the culprit. It's amazing. There's nobody with your fingerprints. There's nobody with your brainwave patterns. And some of you are thinking, I'm glad I haven't got the one sitting next to me. So I know their brain's a bit off. <laughs> you are created in a unique image and likeness of God. And God has put you on the planet for such a time as this with a gift and a calling on your life. And he's calling us to actually become discipled more and more to Jesus so that we can disciple those coming behind us more and more to Jesus. You see, I still get discipled. 
I still have people further down the track than me that speak into my life, that help me fulfill my calling and my destiny and the purpose I was placed on the planet for. I still have people that do that today. I haven't arrived and it'll happen till the day I die. And I have people behind me who I'm now doing the same with them, trying to pull them into the arena of what I do if that's what they're called to do, discipling them to their calling and their destiny. That's what we're called to ultimately do. You have a unique gift and a unique talent, and the Lord is calling you to make a commitment to give it. What, what part do you play in the house of God? You might think, oh, I, I'm not good at the one-on-one stuff. I, I just couldn't sit down with people and, and just, you know, I, you know, maybe your role in the discipleship is to just simply be that brick in the wall of hospitality. Maybe your role... In, in the discipleship process is to just have that job inside the house that helps create the atmosphere that when people come in, they've got the wow factor. They've got the experience that Bathsheba, uh, uh, the Queen of Sheba had with King Solomon when she came and saw the wonder of what he had built. I, I, I want the world to look at our church and say, this church has got something going for it. This church knows what it's doing. This church has the hand of God on it. What this church has got, I want. That's, that's the heart that I want for this house. And it will only happen with great disciples finding their place, doing their thing. If it's doing decor behind the scenes, do it. You will get a well done, good and faithful servant at the end of the day, but your job might be on the front line. But we've got to find what our talent is. And one of the greatest tools we're using right now is our, our Strengths Finder survey. Find your God shape. And I know there's a few who have done it recently. We're about to look at it this week and get appointments set up to help you discover what is your strength? What is it you are actually called to do in the house? Commitment to give you talent. The second thing is, and don't turn off when I say this, a true disciple will have a commitment to give their tithe. I don't talk a lot about money. You know I don't talk a lot about money if you come to this church often enough. I don't talk a lot about money. But a true disciple will have a commitment to give their tithe. In Malachi chapter 3, we read that well-known passage in verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. You say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings you've robbed me. You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will also rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed. You see, that's the reality of what tithing will do in your life. I, I live a blessed life. And I believe with all my heart the reason I live a blessed life is because I've had a pattern of tithing throughout my entire Christian walk. Margot taught me about tithing when we were first going out. I didn't understand the concept. I used to just throw a few coins in the offering on Sunday. But she began to teach me about the biblical principle of tithing and how that, that the house of God today is the church. And the vehicle of the Old Testament that God used to reach people was through the temple of the Old Testament. The tithe was brought in. If you read the Corinthian letters, you discover that Paul says in the same way that that vehicle was funded under the Old Covenant, it's the same way it's funded today under the New Covenant. And the tithe is what sustains the church. The tithe is what makes the church financially strong the tithe is what enables us to have excellent facilities it enables us to fix a roof above us that's going to cost us $180,000 where does that money come from it comes from the faithful tithing and giving of God's people and only disciples will embrace that philosophy in their life 
You know, I live a blessed life because I've had a pattern of tithing. I didn't just say I tithe once and it didn't work. You know, I've had seasons in my life where we've gone really skint. And I'm thinking, God, what's happening? I'm tithing. Why is this not happening? But Paul says, I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. Because God doesn't want us dependent on money. He wants us dependent on him. And sometimes he allows seasons to come and he's just watching to see, is there a true heart of a disciple there that you will stay the course? There was a season in our life. It got so tight. I said to Margot, we can't tithe this week. She said, we are tithing this week. I said, we can't tithe. We are tithing. I said, we're not. We are. I said, we're not. We are. We're not. We are. And she won. She always wins. She's the boss. I'm just a humble servant of the Lord. You know, she said to me, she said, we can't afford not to tithe. And I said, but Margot, it's going to be so tight. But we did. We got through. He's got an amazing ability to do more with the 90% that's left than with the 100% if we don't tithe. He, he just has an amazing ability. I, I have the privilege, not so much now because I'm not as involved now in the admin and financial side of our church. John oversees all of that aspect of the church now. and I just get reports and go to management board meetings and, and so on. But... I have the privilege every now and then of just looking over our bank statements and because there's so much electronic giving these days, you can see what comes in in tithes midweek. So if, you, if you're here today and you see the offering bag go by and you see people who you know are committed to our church and they don't put anything in, just understand they've probably done it electronically through the week you know, because there's more ways of giving than just in the offering bag. But I came across this one tithe that caught my attention. I looked down at it. It's a young girl in our church. A high school girl. Probably only earns about 30 or $40 a week pocket money. I don't know. Maybe she works at McDonald's. I, I really don't know. She might get a shift here and there. And I looked down and here's a tithe, $3.52. And I looked. And then I just scrolled back and there was a pattern every week. And there's her name there, $3.61, $3.44. And I thought somebody is setting that girl up for a blessed life. Somebody is building into that young life. And I hope as parents, when you give your kids pocket money, if you give them $5, you tell them 50 cents of that goes to God. We did that with our kids. It's teaching them the practice, the principle. And it's like, I still stand back amazed that everybody that argues against tithing aren't living a blessed life. And those that do tithe are living a blessed life. And I thought, let the fruit speak for itself. But you see, we, we have a commitment to give of our tithe. The tithe is the first 10% of our income. The Bible tells us to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that the house of God might have food in it, might be functioning, might be able to do what it's called to do on the planet. The house of God is where the tithe belongs, not Newcastle Care. Now, some people might say, oh, I'll give my tithe to Newcastle Care. I can get a tax deduction. That's not where the tithe belongs. That's where your offering belongs. Is it okay for me to be this frank? I'm just, you know, I, like I give to Newcastle Care on a regular basis, but it's over and above my tithe because my tithe belongs in the house. You see, if you give your tithe to Newcastle Care, we can't use that necessarily for kingdom purpose. There's laws and regulations on what a public benevolent institution like Newcastle Care can spend its money on. And it can't. We can't say to Newcastle Care, you're going to fix the roof. It's not allowed to. It's against the law. It would be inappropriate use of funds. And I'd have a striped pajamas on and be looking at you through a set of bars. You see, so if your tithe goes there, it's like we can't use it other than just doing Newcastle Care stuff. But you know, we, uh, if we want to have strong, excellent, great facilities, 
the, the head of the Kraft Cheese Corporation, Mr. Kraft, the guy who started it all, was a very wealthy businessman, but he was a Christian. This is what he said. The only investment I have ever made which has paid consistently increasing dividends is the money that I have given to the Lord. He was a wealthy businessman who established the Kraft Cheese Company. I think it's now owned by somebody in the United States. It's not an Aussie company anymore because they make Vegemite as well, don't they? You don't know? Kraft Vegemite? Is this Kraft Vegemite? The only real consistent returns he got was from the money he gave to the Lord, not from what he did in business. The last one. Oh, the last thing. We need a commitment to give our talent. We need a commitment to give our tithe. And if we want a well done, good and faithful servant, we need to give a commitment to give our time. We've got to give our time. We've got to give our time. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. One of the greatest resources the enemy has stolen from the church is time. He will consume your time. He will have your, your life so filled with stuff, with things, with appointments, anywhere but kingdom purpose. Because he knows that if you give of your time to kingdom purpose, you are actually laying up treasure in heaven where wrath, wrath and must, where moth and rust does not destroy. He knows that you're making an investment of eternal value when you give of your time to kingdom purpose, but he'll get your life so full of stuff that you won't have time for kingdom purpose. Carl Sandburg said, Time is the coin of your life. It is the only coin you have, and only you can determine how it will be spent. Be careful lest you let other people or things spend it for you. How and where we spend our time is a major key to our success in life, but it's also a major key to the success of our church. Matthew six nineteen to 20 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Time given to God in the building of his church is time invested in eternal values. Let me start to wrap up with this scripture. Hebrews 10.25, let us not neglect our church meetings as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. I think one of the key things the devil steals our time from is being in the house on a Sunday. It's being in the corporate gathering. I still find it mind-blowing when I hear people say, oh, I don't go to church anymore. I have it in my lounge room, just me and Jesus. Well, it's one of the most unbiblical things you could actually do. And I don't know how you can read your Bible in your lounge room with just you and Jesus and that's your church and not get a revelation that we are meant to be in a corporate gathering because much of the New Testament are letters written to churches about the horizontal building of relationships, of working together, of functioning as a body. When you, when you read your New Testament and you're sitting on your own in your lounge room and you start reading things like be tolerant of one another, you say, oh, that's pretty easy. There's no one else here. Like, and it's like there's an assumption in the word of God that we don't forsake this gathering but yet the devil will do everything he can to keep you out of this forum he'll do everything he can to keep you from hearing the word of God from having an opportunity to encounter him in corporate worship there's something that happens you say oh, I can encounter Jesus on my own of course you can 
But why did Jesus say, where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst? There's something about the corporate gathering that he is building and he wants the church locking arms together as the body of Christ, discipled to him and functioning as a brick in the wall. That's what we've got to come to. We need to be passionate about discipleship, passionate about me becoming a greater disciple and passionate about looking at how I can help disciple others, whether it's to be a functioning member of a team that helps that happen or actually be at the coalface reaching people. We need to be passionate about discipleship. I'm going to close reading this to you. Is it a ministry that you do or is it a job? If you're doing it because no one else will do it, it's a job. But if you're doing it to serve the Lord, it's a ministry. If you're doing it just well enough to get by, all I need to do, I'll just do that, then it's a job. But if you're doing it to the best of your ability as unto the Lord, it's a ministry. If you'll do it only so long as it doesn't interfere with other activities, then it's a job. If you're committed to staying with it, even when it means letting go of other things, then it's a ministry. If you quit because no one praised you, it's a job. If you stay with it, even when no one seems to notice, it's a ministry. If you do it because someone else said it needs to be done, it's a job. But if you do it because you are convinced it needs to be done, then it's a ministry. It's hard to get excited about a job. It's almost impossible to not get excited about a ministry. People may say, well done, when you do your job. But the Lord will say, when done, well done, when you complete your ministry. An average church is filled with people doing jobs. A great church is filled with people involved in ministry. God bless you.